Join Rabbi Dr. Reb Mimi Feigelson as she blends stories, teachings, and spiritual direction, inspiring us to inscribe ourselves in the book of life and living. One of the world's most vibrant teachers of Hasidut, this podcast celebrates the life and teaching of Reb Mimi, an essential link in the chain of the Hasidic rabbis who preceded her. We are on the, uh, still on the fourth of uh, the 13 Midot of God's compassion that we are asked to emulate. And this one that we have been uh, learning together, and really there are, um, there's our families, our families. I mean, how can you talk about Sherit Nachlato? How can you talk about our family and not talk about our family at home right now in Israel? that are um, at this hour, you know, they're at night already, and they're going into another night not knowing what's going to be. So if we can think about them and dedicate our learning to their, to their safety as our brothers and sisters and parents and siblings and um, nieces, nephews, however that relation wants to be. And I also need to also say that there are um, human beings. You know, one of the things about dealing with Midat Ketel is that it, in some way, expands boundaries because it is uneffable and unconceivable. And I also always want to say in our lives, like, how far back do we need to go? Like, Rabbi Nachman has a story of the, of the seven beggars, and each one remembers further back. So sometimes, and in some way, I want to say it's really connected to the next midah, the fifth midah, of God doesn't hold on to anger forever. So that's about going future. But I want to take this for a moment of saying how far back, how far back do we remember, how far back do we do we go? And um, I remember once I was invited, once invited, we were together. Rabbi Greenwald and I were together at Interfaith Ifter um, at a mosque um, in the South Bay here. And I started with, and it was about celebrating the oneness of humankind. Um, and I started actually with the nigun, because I want our voices to blend together. And um, and I, the first thing I said was, when was the last time we were together? When was the first time we were together? When was the first time we were together? And I said, in God's mind, before God created the world, in that moment, we were all one. And in our lifetime, we need at times to go back to that place. Like, how far back do we go? And sometimes I think we need to go back to a moment before creation when we were all one when embracing suffering in the world. And, and on the one hand, yes, our family is our family, and our biological family is our, is, our, is our family. But I think that we are also blessed in the 21st century to be members of multiple families. And in that constellation, we also need to be thinking about men and women and children on both sides that are right now in, in true danger. <coughs> so. Where we ended last week, really, was about this mirroring image that we have with each other and how that mirroring creates a sense of infinity. But Tova emailed me because she had a couple of questions. So. Oh. <clears throat> OK. Um, well, I thought a lot about the idea of having this unconditional love for one another and being there all the time. And then I thought, how can you be 
someone who is there for someone 100% unconditionally while also being able to give them the advice that they might need to hear and being the mirror for them? How can you do both? And I was just curious what you would say, what you would say. So I think, first of all, I'm grateful that you walk out and still think about what we're, <laughs> <laughs> what we're learning. And, uh, and one of the ways I think about it is in terms of also, I think where I coined our learning for today, where do we begin and where do we end and what our boundaries are. Right? So for example, I think sometimes we become less effective as friends because we get over-involved. Or the identification with the pain or the suffering is such that it becomes our story. So I think that the image, I want to hold on to that mirror for a moment, and I'll hold on to the hug as well. Right? A hug can be so tight that you can't move or a hug can be one that you can dance together. Now, and I've learned this, in figure skating, right, um, and like in the, in the pairs and dance, right, there are rules about how far the two skaters can be in the rink, and they're still skating together, and it's still a dance. So I'm going to say that's going to be the navigation piece. Too close, suffocating. Right, you take a fire, and if you put too much on it, you're not feeding it. You're suffocating it. Right, and I share this story, how Reb Shlomo one summer, it wasn't his last summer, thank God, but it was a couple of summers before his last summer, and he was driving me crazy. Everything he taught, I was just driving me crazy. It was like nails on a, on a board, it was like this, oh my God. And I remember one day coming downstairs, and, um, and Rabbi Mickey Rosen of Blessed Memory, whose your site will be next week, um, I said to him, I'm like, how can he do this? He's feeding me leftovers from the freezer and I need fresh food. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, Mimi, calm down, it's okay. I'm like, I was like, whatever he said, it was right. And I realized that what happened was I wanted to learn from him so much that summer that no matter what he said, it wouldn't have been enough. It wouldn't have been sufficient, right? And that's a suffocating. That's suffocating the fire. That's like feeding it to the point where it actually can't breathe. That's like holding on that you're choking someone. On the other hand, you know, my my flip of that is is Mother Superior, because you know it all comes back to the sound of music for me. <laughs> it all comes back to the sound of music, right? And what does she say to him? What does she say? She says, maybe I've left her along too for too long. Right? And then she calls Maria back. Right? So I'm going to say the dance is what is that space that enables interaction and intervention, but on the other hand, enables a breathing space. Okay, for the basketball people around here? Right? One on one or, one or, one on one or zoning. Okay, when does zoning become you're out to lunch and you're actually not? Right? And one, when does one-on-one -on -one cause foul after foul because actually you're just on top of the other player? You're all kinds of surprising right? today. Yeah. <laughs> We're figure skating, basketball. This Watch is it. out the Lakers. Sound of music. <laughs> this is the deal. This is as far as it goes. We might have found the answer. Um, well, the zoning and the one-on-one -on -one is actually not me. The zoning one -on and one-on-one -on -one is actually Jonathan Giffen because he has an amazing poem 
about his relationship with God and whether it's one-on-one -on -one or zoning. So, and he says, you know, a little more zone, a little more one-on-one -on -one once in a while would be a bad thing. <laughs> you know? It's like you walk around with a sense of zoning, you know. You know, a little more. You know, one-on-one. -on -one. So that's where the, that's where the, that image comes from. It's not mine. So I would say that would be the, that would be the way I would think about this question, right? And the effectiveness. And as parents and as friends and as teachers, we continuously make these evaluations in terms of how much to intervene, when to intervene, when to take a step back, when to give space, right? You're teaching kids to walk, right? Like you need to like hold that fine line between being you know, at a distance so that they actually get up and walk, making sure I want to say that you teach them how to fall or you make sure that where they're going to fall is like a safe, a safe space for them to fall in. And for them to be able to take, you know, take those steps and fall, seeing your hands actually stretched out towards them, which gives them the security and the incentive both to take those steps. So those are going to be the paradigms that I think about. And then I want to say, the other piece I want to say coming back to this is, is how we use these terms to qualify the relationships because they will also define and determine what our obligation is. I said to my mother, God bless her, this week, so in negotiating, God willing, um, this, new, this new shift in her life, I said, and she said, when you come home, because I'll be coming home, going home during semester break <coughs> to help her pack and things like that. Um, so she says, um, so she says, you know when you come home, you're gonna be helping me um, go through all the stuff and so I said I said I know that I said but this is what we need to talk about before we start we need to talk about how many times an hour can I get really annoyed at you um, and it won't and I will won't be chayevet mishul kibud em right like so we need to define like I can lose my cool three times an hour while packing that would be reasonable and like from the fourth time I would be chayavet mishum kibud em, but not before that. So I also want to say in that, right, there's too much laughing around this table, but I think it's important to be able to like, establish what those parameters would be. So, but using this image here, right, I want who are the people that are like of an M to us, parent? Who are the people that the nature of the relationship is sibling? Who are the people that are in, the, in our relationship to them, their child? Right? Because that, again, would help us qualify what the intervention looks like. And do we also, at times, move in certain relationships? In the same way our parents take care of us, and then there comes an age that we start assuming responsibility in their regard. So can that also be in, in relationships? Think about people that have been like really close in your life that have been, you know, you thought you were going to be best friends forever and then you grow out of it. And there's like nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with that person. There's nothing wrong with you. And the relationship was what it was when it was. But who you are today and who they are today. Right? So part of me says holding on to that relationship because of what was, that's also not being honest. So how do you say, you know, we're really, we're different people, we're, we're living very different lives. What does that look like? So I feel that these parameters of ach, achot, av, im, ben, bat, 
and then he doesn't bring in here about you know aunts and uncles and so on. Right? We know sometimes the aunts and uncles are more like parents than our biological parents. Like, what does that look like? Or our cousins are more like siblings than our biological siblings. I think we can use these different paradigms to talk about qualities of relationship as well. So I would say the dance element works for me. Um, and also the redefining of relationships also works for me. Thank you. Thank you. I think we're in the last paragraph. So this is like really your question, Tova, in so many ways it's like so important when entering into this last paragraph. Because on the one hand he says, therefore it is, it is worthy, it is fitting, it behooves us. Like I want to say, how do we honor ourselves? That's really the question in some way. It is fitting to us, it is worthy that we should, our, our desire, right, should be that the other person succeeds. That other things are good. Like how, how, how often do we go around life thinking about how to make things better for other people? But I want to say not only, not even, not only, like let's start with this. How, how easy does it come to us to be grateful or celebrate other people's success? and then let alone set other people up for success, right? How, how often do we engage in trying to actively, right? And I want to say, actually, I want to finish that sentence, actively set other people up for success. And I want to say the flip of that is, the Rambam, when he talks about the eight levels of tzedakah that everyone loves to quote, the, the piece that for me is the most important, the, one of the most important, because they're all most important, right? is that in the first level, he, the phrase that he uses is not ani, it's not poor person. It's Yisrael Shemach. Right? The Torah says, Ki when, your, when your sibling begins to fall. Right? But the first is Yisrael Shemach. Now for me, what, is that, what does that image look like? That image looks like you see that the, you see that the way the, 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 um, you're cleaner Right, runs their business, and your cleaner runs the business in a way it's like clear to you because you have business expertise that they're they're actually, if they continue like this, they're going to run themselves out of business. Right, so is it not your business, or is it actually maybe it's your business? They're doing fine, but you know, with this, and this with this trajectory, in two three years, they're out of business. Is it your responsibility or not? They're fine. But they are potentially, or are they all already stumbling? Yisrael Shemach, they're Yisrael, they're not Ani. Right? They're still on their two feet. What's our responsibility? At what point, are we going to wait until the second level when they become Ani? Like, as long as they're okay, we're not interfe inter interfering? At what point do we, do we enter into the conversation? So I want to say here, the flip, as like, okay, they're doing well. But if we have an ability to help them succeed in ways that they even can't imagine, right? Like, what does that friendship look like? That someone dreams bigger, you know? I was talking to, um, I, I was talking to, to my chavruta, my uh, smicha and, um, and I said to him, isn't that responsibility of the chavruta to think 
that their chavruta is greater than their chavruta thinks that they are. Right, that's the deal. Like, that's a partnership, I think. One of the elements of partnership between us is like, I'm always going to think that I, no matter how, what he thinks about himself, I will always think more of him than he's capable of thinking of himself. I actually think that I'm right. <laughs> but that's the reality of it. So I want to say that this is like, you don't think that it's like, it's not normal for us to walk around trying to think about how we can help each other be even greater than we are. That's why it comes from Sfirat Kirtel. And if this is not normal, I want to be that like not normal. Right? I want to think about what that looks like. And he's saying it's worthy, it's fitting of us. The status quo, as great as it is, it can always be better. What does that look like? How can we help each other get there? And then he says, really, because the truth is for him, Sharei hu hu mamash. And that is, like the tricky piece is, because the other person is you. So, yes and no, because because we can't lose our self-identity. And that's, and that's true. And that's what Rabbi Akiva will say, you drink the water before you give it to the other. That's also true. That's why Rav Kook will say, you need to love your family differently than you love everyone else. Because they are your family. That's true. And a parent needs to pick up their kid first before they pick up their best friend's kid that both fell in the playground. That's true, too. But the word mamash here is like, really? I mean, really, how connected do we really feel? How, I want to say responsible in the positive way. Again, not in the condescending way, but in a real way. What does that look like? Yeah. How are you defining chaber here? At what level of relationship are we already at before this is true? Or are we Chavirim Kolbe Yisrael? So I hear a question and I'm thinking about Arivut, Chavirut. I'm thinking about Ava, Ahva, Shalom, Vereut. Like we have these different qualities of relationships. So I also want to say part of that is going to be for you how you want to define your communities and who are those people in your life. So I think about chaver in terms of chibur. I think about the people that I'm connected with. I think about um, achim, as I've said in the past, and connected to, as Rabbi Salman would understand it, as ichui, as healing, right? Those, those people that I'm connected to a lot of people, but there are some people that actually their presence in my life actually makes me, actually helps me heal, right? Right? And then there are people that are like the bond between us is like the, we're, in, we're inseparable. So I would flip it back to you and then ask you who do you want to, I can be as minimalistic as saying, I can, I can be, you know, I can quote the Rambam for a moment, Im mitzvot. Amit is the one who is bound to mitzvot the way you are. So those are going to be, I believe, your choices as to who you want to embrace in this, in this paradigm, right? And the truth is, I also like the fact that we go from ach, bat, achot, em, and so on, to chavir, right, which expands it, again. 
and maybe even the people that don't even know that you're friends. Right? Maybe even people that you don't even know, that don't even know. But I know this uh, story. I think I heard this from, uh, from Dina Garbo, who's a very gifted and wonderful teacher in Yerushalayim. And she told the story, Dr. when we were learning a Chutzdaka together, about this person, that the way they would, um, the way they would do Tzedaka is if they knew, for example, someone um, needed a refrigerator, right, they would put an ad in the newspaper for like a really cheap refrigerator. Mm. Like instead of like, because if they knew the person wouldn't accept it as a gift, so they would put it in with this like ridiculous price on it, and then they go to the person and say, look at the newspaper. Like just look, this is exactly what you're looking for. And it's exactly in your budget. And hope no one else calls. Won't <laughs> turn down everyone else, right? Right? So there are ways. Our kids play, what's this game? Like, uh, what is it, angels or whatever it is, or fairies, or like, there's like this, you know, game okay. like, hmm? This game, like, you, you're designated a person, like, you're supposed to do nice things for them without them knowing oh, yeah. that it's you. Okay, imagine that would happen here for just a day, let alone a week. That's a nice idea. Right? You just find someone did your homework. You just find someone took out the garbage. You just find someone, you know, made you lunch. Whatever that is. So I'm going to say, um, So that's the tzivui. So you're going to decide. Like, I can be completely halachic, and I can say, I can say, Amit is in Chabi Mitzvah. Or I can say, Rea, who is your Rea? And what is that definition of that? But once you define, then you're in this. Once you say, all right, this is going to be my circle of relationship, then the circle of relationship has these conditions. Correct. Correct. So, like, you guys, I think I told you this, like, you guys are, you're busted for life because you're stuck with me. Like, that's the deal. And I think I, I don't, I, if I shared this with you last week about Rabbi Graeber, right? Mm -hmm. Right? That I said to the community, okay, you can stay. And it turned out that Rabbi Arson said, okay, when he came to visit, you can stay. Like, that's the deal. <laughs> I told you this, right? I was like, that's the deal. But, you know, that's the, that's the partnership. You walk through these doors of Ziegler, and you will never, ever be alone again. We may never hear from you again. But we think about you. But you think, but we think about you. Yeah. Exactly. Right? I won't tell you what we think about you, but we think about you. <laughs> we may not want to know what you think. Janet only <laughs> thinks good things. <laughs> she sits a day because between the two of us. <laughs> right? But that's the reality of it. So that's the, that's the nature of the partnership. Right? You make that commitment. Right? Now, again, I can say, ooh, and you could say, divorce is a mitzvah. Can you say, I can walk with you so far, no further? I think that at times that can be a legitimate statement, right? Or have, has the, um, have the dynamics changed in such a way that you aren't the person that I entered into the covenant with or this partnership with? I think there was to think about that. Right? Um, no, last week was Retin's Day, and I actually watched a short, uh, a few minutes on uh, uh, television, and, and there, was a, there was a woman who, really, the person she married and the person who came back from Iraq, 
is not the same person. What do you do with that? What do you do? And she, right, is staying, she's with this person and raising their children and and you ask, where does that strength come from? Where does that commitment come from? You know, do people really believe when they say till death does a part? <laughs> is, that re- is that reasonable to ask of someone? So I think the questions are, are continuously there, and they're and they're never cl- they're never closed, right? But I what I do want to say is here, I think we're being pushed beyond what we think is our everyday behavior. And we, it's what's also worthy is that we make each other look good. Right? What we want is for our friends to look good. And when, and we for us not to speak ill of them, but not want not to want other people to speak ill of them. In the same way that God does not want us to be um, seen in our improper um, or denigrated manner, or not in our suffering. Why? Because we're related. In the same way, we should not want our friends to be denigrated in any way, or for them to suffer, or for them in any way. Like, I want to say, it's almost, you know, how do you, how do you help sometimes someone rephrase <clears throat> something? Right? They say that something comes out of their mouth, and it's just like, how do you help them, how do you help them rephrase it? Um, I remember Rabbi Rosenman saying to me, um, oh, I don't remember what it was about. I don't remember what it was about, but I knew that I, re- I needed to shock him. And I chose to use the F word, and it wasn't friend. <laughs> I don't remember what it was anymore, but I, and I knew what I was doing. And I said that word, and, it, and he looked at me, and he said, I can't believe a mouth that utters words of Torah used that word. Right? As a way of saying, it's just like it's not pretty. It's like it's not appropriate. It's just like not right. It's just, it's just not right. Um, so how do we hold that space for each other? How do we suffer each other? Like Rabbi Aryeh going to the doctor with his wife and saying, my wife's foot hurts us. Right? That's the story about Rabbi Aryeh Levine. A blessed memory. Going to the doctor. My wife's foot hurts us. Like, how can we experience that pain? Right? And when we say it hurts me to see you that way, right? When we say I feel your pain, right? How much of that is a metaphor and how real really is that? On the other hand, what does it mean to celebrate for someone? To rejoice, not to want it, not to want a piece of it, but to rejoice in it. Okay. Ha hey, the fifth one. Lo hechzik laad apu. Moving along. 
Moving along. I actually had promises here. This is a whole new way of being. Even when we continuously transgress, we hold on. God doesn't hold on to his anger. And if God holds on to his anger, not forever. It'll let go of his anger even if we don't change our behavior. Okay, now those of you who know me know that what I like about this is it actually gives you space to be angry for a moment. Right? Because it doesn't say God never gets angry. It actually says, first it says God doesn't hold on to the anger. He doesn't hold on to it. And I like also machzik in terms of chazak, doesn't strengthen it, doesn't like feed it. Right? And so it's okay at times to be angry. It's okay to be upset. Right? Like how do we teach our kids that, you know, mommy and daddy, Abba and Ima can, get, can be angry and still love? Or be angry for a moment? and move on the next moment and still love. Like I think kids sometimes get scared for a moment when they see their parents get stern with them. Right, you can see on their face, it's like, oh my God, what just happened? And then how do we teach them? You can be angry at one moment and then love the next. So, uh, but I wanna say like for us, what, one of the challenges is, is like how to let go of it. How to let go of that anger. And um, one of the images that I have here is that um, there's an, uh, there, I was just, I, um, I was talking about with, with one of our students just this past week, just last week, because it's Monday, right? Um, about the Machloket in the second generation of Chabad between Aaron of Sarashela and Dovber, Revener Zalman's son. Right? And there are between them on false ecstasy, whether there is such a thing as false ecstasy or not. Right? And Rav Aaron said there isn't, and Rav Dober said he, there is. Now, what they agreed on, what the machlokah was, was only on the first moment. The controversy between them was only on the first moment, not on the second moment. Meaning to say, that first spark, Rav Aaron would say the first spark is always true. Once you begin to contemplate about it, once you do iyun tefillah on your spiritual state, once you do iyun tefillah on your awakeness, on your enlightenment, you're out of it. But Rabbi Aaron say that first moment, that, huh, that's a gift from God. So I want to say in the same way, right, that first moment of anger, that flare, that's fine. Because that tells me about my relationship to what had just happened. That tells me about my moral and ethical standing in the world. That tells me about what I think is right and wrong. But then, is that a fire that we feed? That can become the consuming fire, coming back to how we negotiate our fire and how we honor our fire. That's the deal here. So I feel that he's not saying that there isn't place for the af. 
la'ad apo. There are two elements here. One is the hechzik, and one is the la'ad. One is holding on to it, and then, ooh, now, like, like how do we talk ourselves into, like, not letting go of the anger? <laughs> how do we talk ourselves into holding on to the insult? Then we have a conversation with us. We have all, we have so many good reasons to hold on. So that's the deal. Annul it. Let go of it. It's a great Pesach Torah here. If you're already putting things in your file for your Pesach teachings, this is one of them. Right? Chametz being that leavening element, the heat, the fire. Right? 18 minutes. Right? It's, it's matzah. 18 minutes and one second, it becomes chametz. That matzah, on the one hand, right, from the, minute that the, from the minute that the water hits the flour, you have to work it. You have to work it, because if you stop working it for a, for a split second, right, so there are people that until the next person is ready to roll out a piece of it to make a matzah, they're working the dough. It has to be worked all the time in your hands. But then... This is, you can only hold on to it for 18 minutes. Lo hechazik la'ad. I want you to think about those paradigms. Justifiable? A place for it? Yes. When do you let go of it? How do you let go of it? And at what point do you let go of it? That's going to be our challenge. So I think we're leaving each other with a, um, a list of challenges, but also a list of tools to work with together. And... Um, and I just pray that we can not lose ourselves while we expand ourselves as well. I think that's going to be the challenge, to be able to expand ourselves without losing ourselves. A week of blessings. This podcast is supported in part by a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Joey Weisenberg and the Hadar Ensemble. Learn more at risingsong.org. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page, and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.